invite you to open the scriptures with me this morning to the New Testament letter to the Ephesians. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 2 today. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find this text on page 947. And the last few weeks, the four Sundays uh, of Advent leading up to Christmas, we were in the, the Psalms as we considered some songs uh, from, the books of the, from the book of Psalms for Christmas. And next week, we're going to Return to Revelation, which we started a number of weeks ago, so we'll be in Revelation 4 uh, beginning next week. But today, uh, we turn our attention to the story of the gospel, uh, to the implications of the gospel, to the truths of the gospel coming right out of uh, celebrating Christmas. We continue, as we've already been instructed this morning, as we've already been called to do today, we continue celebrating uh, Christmas uh, for in this child, salvation has come. And so today we want to focus in on salvation. This is a text that we need to know. A text with tremendous uh, truths and implications for our lives. And so uh, perhaps it's a text that you're quite familiar with. Maybe uh, not though. And even if so, we need to be reminded of the gospel. I don't know how the last few days has been for you. I don't know what the last week looked like. Uh, for you, but uh, it was filled with multiple uh, gift exchanges uh, for our family. And it's always exciting, is it not, to watch a child's face open up a gift that they just really love. Uh, see the grin and the excitement, the delight on, on their face. Anybody's kids get something like that for, for Christmas? And I can remember uh, a few standout gifts uh, from my own boyhood. Perhaps uh, you can... Uh, as well, I remember a big train set that was left by Santa one year uh, that was already set up on Christmas morning upstairs in the bonus room. Uh, I remember a, a 22, a kid-sized 22 rifle uh, with my initials engraved on it that was given to me by my pa and granny. Uh, I remember a plastic microphone and stand set that was left by Santa next to the tree uh, that no doubt got plenty of use and was quickly torn up. Uh, I can uh, remember... Uh, an Orvis fly fishing rod that I uh, begged mom and dad for that they uh, gifted me with one Christmas. But honestly, I don't, I don't remember a whole lot of other uh, Christmas gifts beyond that. Uh, what about you? Uh, can you think of any standout uh, gifts, any gifts that stood apart and above others in your own experience? Uh, what was your greatest gift? Any gifts given or received that produce feelings of overwhelming gratitude and delight for you. you know, in the midst of Christmas celebrations, I fear that uh, we may be on the verge of, of missing appropriate feelings of gratitude and delight. I think we live in a time when people are not very easily impressed. Uh, with TV and YouTube and credit cards and online uh, shopping, we see and have so much uh, that we're a tough crowd to impress. But when it comes to Christmas, uh, there is a standout gift that stands apart and above all other possible gifts given to us by God, and we need to regain some awe. Uh, we need to regain some overwhelming gratitude and delight in what the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth has done for us. So let's not be too quick to move beyond Christmas. Let's not be too quick to, to leave this story. Let's stay in the story, the gospel story, the, the story of the coming and the living and the dying and the rising and the promise of His returning of Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Let's stay in the Christmas story today and let's consider this gift of God for for Christmas makes Easter possible. And Easter gives Christmas meaning. So let's consider the gospel today. Let me invite you to look with me at Ephesians chapter 2 and Did you find your place there? Um, Would you join me standing for the reading of of God's Word? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Paul is writing. He's certainly moved by the Spirit. The Spirit is speaking. God is speaking. And he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, this morning we come together to thank to thank you for the gift of God. Lord, to celebrate the giver and the gift, to worship you. So Lord, we pray that our minds, our thoughts, my words, Lord, over the next few minutes would worship you, that they would glorify your name. And then together, Lord, as we respond and as we go, Lord, may we exalt the name of Jesus. Speak to us now, Lord, for we are listening. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This is perhaps one of the best known passages in all of the Bible. If you're looking for a place to begin memorizing Scripture, uh, this would be a good passage with which to begin. This is certainly one of the best known texts that Paul wrote. Uh, Yet, I think its implications are regularly forgotten or ignored. In other words, we're we're prone to forget, we're prone to wonder. We we hear the gospel, we're going to hear it again today, and and pray that the Lord reminds us of the gospel truth constantly, that we live by them. And so this morning I want to do something a little bit different. I want to to share four uh, gospel uh, truths, uh, the gospel in four statements, and spelling out the the word gift. If we're going to do that, if we're going to begin... Uh, if we're going to be true to the, the Scriptures, true to our Lord, we want to begin where the Scriptures begin. We want to begin with God. We must begin with God, who He is and what He is like. And the Bible teaches that God is worthy, just, and gracious. God is worthy and just and gracious. He's worthy of all recognition and praise. He's worthy of submission and service. We begin with Him because He was here in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. No, but to say in the beginning uh, feels a bit misleading because God had no beginning. Uh, There is no beginning of God. And as the creator, all life owes existence to him, including you and including me. And since he is perfectly just in character, he always does the right thing. He doesn't ignore what is due to others, either those in the right or those in the wrong. But He's also gracious. He grants undeserved favor to those He loves. And He loves us, for He made us. The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 103, verse 8, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. A refrain that recounts truths about God's character that's repeated over and over, particularly in the Old Testament. Right here in our chapter, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul describes God as someone with great love for us and who is rich in mercy. This is who God is. And so this determines how he operates. These characteristic, characteristics of, of God's identity, of his character, determine 
how he operates. He's unchanging, meaning his character always is the same. He has always been worthy and just and gracious, and he will always be, but I am rebellious and sinful. I am rebellious and sinful, and truth be told, so are you. Apostle Paul makes absolutely sure we don't miss the depth of our depravity in this passage. He recounts our sinfulness before God by what he says in verses 1 and 2 and 3 of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Verse 3 says, like the rest, he says, we were by nature deserving of wrath. I am rebellious and sinful because those who went before me were, because my ancestors were. You see, Adam and Eve chose sin for me, yet ever since I too have chosen sin countless times, I have chosen sin over God numerous times. And since God is just, sin has consequences before Him. It requires punishment, for no just judge can ignore wrongs. They must be dealt with rightly. But you know, the spiritual fallout is far greater than any material consequence of our sin. Certainly there are material consequences, but sin has made a gulf. It's made a a chasm between the worthy God and His rebellious creatures. A a relationship that was created to be enjoyed has been disrupted. What, What was once safe and secure has been severed. And the blame lies not with God, but with us. Ever since that first sin, a pattern of ongoing rebellion has ensued. A sin pattern that you and I participate in. pattern perhaps most clearly seen as we consider the Israelites. Consider those who were delivered according to the promise of God and the provision of God from slavery in Egypt. They've been in bondage in Egypt. They've multiplied greatly and God comes to the rescue. He He remembers His promises and he hears the cries for help and he comes to their aid and he delivers them miraculously. His human agents conducts plagues, incredible miracles. He parts the sea and the masses cross through. He provides water in the wilderness and yet before long they're crying out and complaining against him. Consider one example from Exodus chapter 16 verse Three, the Israelites said to their leaders, they said to Moses and Aaron, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Lord, forget what, what we've seen. Forget God's provision thus far. If this is the way it's going to be, we, we don't want this. And truth be told, we're prone to do the same thing. Of course, sin is not uh, an Israelite problem. It's a human problem. It's our problem. Paul writes in Romans 3, As it is written, there is no one righteous. Not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Since all have sinned and Fall short of the glory of God, so have I. Friends, so have you. I am rebellious and sinful, and so are you. Regularly failing to consider God's standard or His worth. Regularly choosing our own way, the way of death. 
See, according to the scriptures, that's what we've earned. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. The earnings of sin is death. The due payment for sin is death, but the text goes on. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We have earned death, spiritual and physical death, but God offers a gift that defeats death, that destroys the barrier, that overcomes the chasm of separation. That gift is forgiveness through Jesus. Forgiveness is available through Jesus. Church, that's the gift. This is the gift. The gift of God. One author says it this way. Paul David Tripp says, Christmas is about a gift. The gift is the giver. It's about a gift. That's why we do gift exchanges. And the gift is the giver. The Savior. The fullness of God in the flesh. He has come to save us, to rescue us, to do for us what we can never do so that we could be right with Him, so that we can live with Him forever. You see, like Santa Claus, Jesus also knows if you've been good or bad. But unlike Santa, Jesus gives us what we can never deserve. By definition, a gift is something unearned. I'm curious though, be honest, how, how many of you stash away an extra little gift or two, just in case great Aunt Betsy or third cousin Alan gets you a gift that you were unexpecting. Anybody do that? Anybody? Yeah, I see a few. I'll be honest with you. I don't do that because a gift is unexpected, right? It's unearned. It's undeserved. Simply given out of love. Or should be. Don't think less of me, but I do know personally quite personally, uh, some folks that do just just that. We may not think of it this way, but the whole uh, tabernacle and priestly system, the whole system of worship that uh, we read about ad nauseum in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. In fact, I'm in a, uh, a, a new uh, one-year uh, Bible reading plan, and that, that's where I am. That's where I've been, and that's where I still am. And, and we read about these details of, of how to come before God and worship. We see details ad nauseum about who was supposed to do it and how they were supposed to do it and what was to be offered. And we don't think of it this way, perhaps, but this is a gift. This whole system was a gift from God to the Israelites, establishing how they were to approach Him, offering a a way, an acceptable way to to be in relationship with Him. See, God established this provisional system to allow a relationship despite human rebellion and sin in order to mediate proper interaction and worship and devotion, and the author of Hebrews reflects on this. And how it's adjusted in the coming of Christ. How it's fulfilled in the coming of Christ. Listen to what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 7. The Bible says, But only the high priest entered the inner room. That is the, the inner part, the most holy place of the tabernacle. And that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. In other words, there was only one person who could enter this place where God chose to dwell among His people, where His glory was was found. Only one person could do it, the high priest, and he could only do it at the right time once a year, and he had to do it in the right way. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. In other words, no one else could come in at this time. 
He says, this is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings. External regulations applying until the time of the new order. In other words, they were temporary. This was God's provision for a time, but it wasn't always going to be this way. It isn't this way. Verse 11, but when Christ came, when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. You see, the sacrificial system was a gift regulating a spiritual relationship between God and his people, but the human tabernacle of Christ. This was fullness of God dwells, the glory of God dwells, and the great high priest who mediates our case before God and the pure and perfect sacrifice of Jesus in our place are the greater gift. He is the greater gift. Why? Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've not measured up. Then he goes on. He says, and all are justified freely by His grace, by God's grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Redemption came. It was offered. God presented how? God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. The sacrifice to mend a broken relationship. The sacrifice in our place to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. The text says He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so as to be just, remaining true to His character, always just, always doing the right thing. And the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. See, Christ Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, making forgiveness available to us. Forgiveness is available through Jesus Christ. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us. Paul says, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Have you ever been part of a gift exchange where one party's gift far outweighs the other? I'm sure we all have. But think of a a dirty Santa game, a good dirty Santa game. Where there's always one or two gifts that, that outweigh the others that everybody wants. Everybody wants those gifts. Everybody wants to steal those gifts. But then there's also one or two gifts that nobody wants to steal, right? Well, in Jesus Christ, an exchange takes place of drastically unequal proportions. Unrighteousness for righteousness. Sin for salvation. Flaws for forgiveness. Our guilt for His innocence before the Most High God. Death for life. Hopelessness for hope. Brokenness for peace. From deserving of wrath to forgiveness, freedom, and adoption. Completely undeserved favor. That's grace. Completely undeserved favor from the Most High God. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, Paul says. It is not from yourselves. It's not in you. It's not in anything you could do. It is the gift of God, not by works. So that no one could boast. You see, the only room for boasting among believers is, is boasting in God. Boasting in who He is and what He has done for us. The giver of the gift. 
You know, Paul would be hard-pressed to make a stronger statement for the undeserved nature of God's salvation. If you read the verses leading up to this, the case becomes even stronger. It is a gift of God, meaning it is from Him. Undeserved, unearned, unmerited, and it's no small gift. This is no stocking stuffer. This is no gift that might show up at a gift exchange. This is no colossal present. It, it, it may be small, but its implications are enormous. It is pure and permanent grace. So I was thinking this week and spending time with family and thinking about today. I was reminded of a tradition that we did in our home growing up where there was one gift that showed up every year. It remained under the tree. It was the last gift that was open. Mom was the initiator of this tradition, I think. I don't know where she came across this tradition, but she made sure that we, that we did it. There was a present. We took turns. Somebody opened at the end to focus our attention. It usually said something like, to the Jones family, from God. So one of us would open that gift, tear the paper back, Open up the box inside. There'd be a little baby. A baby meant to remind us and focus us on on the true gift. The greatest gift. A child. A son. That's what we sang earlier. The Prince of Peace. For me. That's the ultimate gift. That is the standout gift. That is the knockout gift. That is the gift that God extends to you and and to me. That is the ultimate sacrifice. The gift of salvation and forgiveness and and life through Jesus Christ. That's the gift that we celebrate Christmas after Christmas after Christmas and all year long. The gift of God. The grace of God. God, let's regain some awe. Let's regain some overwhelming gratitude and delight in who God is and what He has done for us. The one who takes us from darkness to light. The one who delivers the dead, who invites us to know and experience and enjoy Him now and forever. Friends, the gift has come and the gift is offered. But it must be received. It's meant to be received. It's meant to be opened. It's meant to be treasured. It's meant to be enjoyed, to truly understand and experience Christmas, we must trust Christ our Savior and soon returning King. We must trust Him. We must trust Christ our Savior and soon returning King. This is the Gospel. This is our salvation. God is worthy, just, and gracious. I am rebellious and sinful. Forgiveness is available through Jesus. So we must trust Christ the Savior and soon returning King. God presented Christ... As a sacrifice of atonement. Through the shedding of his blood. To be received. By faith. What is faith? It's belief. And it's trust. It involves the mind. And the will. The heart. The Bible says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart 
that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, the undeserved, the free, the unearned, the unmerited, the gracious gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Have you received the ultimate gift? Have you received the gift, the gift of Jesus, God's gift of a forever relationship with Him? How about trusting Him now? How about trusting Christ, the Savior and soon returning King today? How about turning to Him and living for Him? I don't know your journey. I don't know your heart. I don't know your status, your position before God. Perhaps perhaps I see you every Sunday. Maybe you're a long-time church attender. Maybe you're a church member. Maybe you're a tither. Maybe you've served in the church and are serving in the church in a number of ways. But your confidence is in your practices and your attendance and your good efforts and your good deeds and your religious life and not in the provision of Christ. That is you. You're not right with God. Scripture says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Perhaps there's others here this morning. Maybe you don't know why you're here. Maybe you came because you're with family. Something or someone prompted you to come to this place today and you don't know what it means to trust in Christ. Perhaps you know the story. Maybe you know that maybe you heard this text, but you never looked at salvation as a gift of grace. And the Bible is clear on this. The gift of grace to be received by faith. Won't you receive the gift in faith today? Repent and trust in Jesus for salvation. Put your confidence in him. Be assured of forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. Know that you are right before God today. By turning to Christ. Maybe there's others. Maybe the vast majority. Probably the vast majority. Who have trusted in Jesus. Maybe you're confident. And you're delighted that salvation is a gift of God's grace. You know this. Perhaps you've lost a sense of awe. Of overwhelming gratitude and delight. In what God has done for us. Let's regain some awe today. Let's celebrate the gift. The gift is the giver. Let's celebrate Christ. Let's lay our lives before Him. Let's exalt His name. Let's worship Him. Father, as we bow before You, may may You be Lord in our lives. Lord, we recognize today that You are Lord of all. You are Lord of all creation, that there is no one like You that that you are high and lofty and majestic and splendid, that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, that you reign on high, that, that all people owe their existence and their service to you. But Lord, may they, may that not be where we leave you. Lord, may we willingly and joyfully bow before you in submission and service because you are our Savior. Lord, you are 
compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Character traits that come to fulfillment in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we bow before you. May we serve you. May we worship you. May we stand in awe of you. For you are worthy. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.